What are the secrets of those extraordinary individuals that have achieved extraordinary success? Listen to their stories, discover their knowledge bursts, make those connections. Get ready. It's time to start moving forward. John Lim here, and we're moving forward today with Mike Silver, a boxing historian, author, and a featured commentator on numerous documentaries for ESPN, HBO, PBS, The History Channel, to name just a few. Mike is the author of the award-winning The Arc of Boxing, The Rise and Decline of the Sweet Science, and his newest book, Stars in the Ring, Jewish Champions in the Golden Age of Boxing, a Photographic History, published by Lions Press. Welcome, Mike. How are you today? I'm fine, John. How are you? Uh, wonderful. It is great to have you on the show. So excited to talk to you. Let's kick it off, Mike. I wanted you to kind of share a little bit of your story and your journey with our listeners. Sure. I have this hobby, which I've been uh, passionate about for almost all my life since about the age of 14, which is the sport of boxing. And... Uh, but all during that time when I was passionate about this sport, I was working to make a living. Yeah. You know, I mean, very few writers make a living. Mm-hmm. And, and I never saw myself as a writer per se, but I did have this very strong interest and developed uh, friendships and contacts within that world. And uh, but. I realized that I had to do something to support myself. So, and that took a while to find, you might say, uh, my niche, uh, what I could do that I would be happy with, that could provide me with a good living. And uh, I foundered for quite a while. Yeah. Um, I graduated college. I was not a great student. All the time, you know, I had this interest, which in a way sustained me because to anybody who knows who has a passion about something, it's almost a blessing Yes, because you can enjoy, you enjoy it so much. It, it's, it's, it's just something that gives you so much pleasure and you lose yourself in it. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't the type of person that easily took chances. And although I wanted to get into that world of you know, the boxing world, it was a strange world and not something that a nice Jewish boy usually got into, especially in the time I was growing up. Um, so, uh, I, uh, went to work at various jobs, uh, uh, for, you know, after I graduated college and I wasn't really going anywhere. And in my late twenties, I, I was very frustrated. I felt I sort of had no direction and, I had this feeling, though, I worked for a very large company, a Fortune 1000 company, and uh, I can identify it. It was Dun & Bradstreet, and I was more or less working in a clerical job there, um, but I wasn't being challenged, and I wasn't too good at it because it didn't really interest me, although I kept it just as a job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, so talk a little bit about the later part of your career. And you talked in the beginning about this interest that you've had since you were 14 in Mm -hmm. boxing Mm -hmm. and later on uh, writing. So how did that come into your life? Okay. Um, You know, during my, the time I I was, had very strong interest in the sport, uh, I occasionally wrote 
uh, letters to magazines, you know, giving my opinion about something. And uh, I would, I once had a letter published in the New York Times, which was exciting to me. And I was accumulating all this information and all this knowledge. I trained as an amateur boxer for three years, had a few amateur fights, uh, felt that, you know, it wasn't for me. <laughs> there was no future in that for me. Uh, plus getting hit in the head didn't exactly appeal to me. So, um, but I was accum- I, I made friends with some very well-known trainers in the sport and it was a real hobby of mine, a real passion. And, and I was accumulating and I used to save files of articles and things in the back of my mind. I knew even beginning, I would say in my early thirties that eventually I would write a book Wow. about it. I, I, and, and I had files of all, you know, and I collected boxing books and everything. And, you know, I thought, you know, I had some friends who were also interest, interested in it, but I thought like was the, I was the only one who had this extreme interest. Like I did. Yeah. But as I, as my, um, uh, circle of contacts within the, uh, this uh, community expanded, I found other guys like myself who also were as passionate about it as I was. You know, you find that out when you, when you get into that community that you're interested in. So, but in any case, I kept all this information and in the, I would say it was in the mid nineties when I saw boxing really deteriorating and, and just denigrating and, and, and falling apart in terms of its organization and the greed that was involved and, and the, 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 the technique of the fighters deteriorating and so on. Um, I was becoming, uh, almost angry in a sense of what was happening to the sport that I, that I really loved and now was, uh, just becoming disgusted with. Um, and I also saw people who were, had, uh, the, uh, you know, were on television and, uh, were commentating on the sport and they were talking and I said, geez, I know more than these people. They don't know what they're talking about. And, uh, it was almost a, a form of revisionist history. I was hearing as they were touting these fighters Wow, as all all time greats, and they were, you know, saying that. And I thought the public is being misled. Mm-hmm. They're really being misled. So, I decided to write a book. I decided to write a book to explain what happened to this sport that I that I once loved with such a passion, and to uh, create a document that would explain what happened to boxing. And also compare these modern day fighters, those that were considered great, to the old time fighters, say pre-1970 or certainly pre-1960, the 20s, 30s, 40s, and who was better and why. And in doing that, I could explain to the reader, to the audience, what they're watching and what they're watching wasn't what they thought they were watching. Hmm. And I would do this by educating them. And that was my first book. It was called the arc ARC, the arc of boxing, the rise and decline of the sweet science. And, um, that book has in it everything I wanted to say about boxing, but I didn't just want it to be my voice because I wasn't, I mean, I was known somewhat through my articles. I had been writing articles for, ring magazine and other boxing magazines, but 
I, I wanted famous people to back up what I was saying. Mm. So I got hold of the three most famous trainers in boxing, Teddy Atlas, Freddie Roach, and Emmanuel Stewart, and about a dozen other experts and historians. Now, I didn't know if they would agree, or agree with me or not, but I interviewed all of them. And I put their interviews in the book. And, and to me, this book is, is just the, the, uh, the best document out there to explain what happened to boxing. Yeah. And tell our listeners a little bit about your new book, Stars in the Ring. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I had another passion, and that was, and that was uh, Jewish history, mm. okay? And, uh, and Judaism and Jewish philosophy. Um, this is a, another very strong interest of mine. Um, and what I found that what most people didn't know, you know, boxing is a very ethnic sport and it was used by the immigrants who came over here in the early part of the last century to improve their economic and social status. Why boxing? Because boxing was as popular as baseball. Hmm. There are only two really popular sports at the time. We're going back to the 1910s, 20s, 30s, uh, and that was baseball and boxing. And you can even say that boxing, at least in the first four decades of the last century, was even more popular than baseball because it wasn't a seasonal sport. More people were involved in it. But again, it was a way out and a way to earn quick money for people who young men who looked for an alternate to the sweatshops or the push carts or menial jobs. And uh, the boxers at the time frame I'm talking about, they were looked up to. They were heroes in poor urban neighborhoods. It's very hard to explain to somebody how big the sport of professional boxing was in America at that time. It was huge. Okay. And most people don't know that Jewish boxers were a dominant force within the sport. Wow. And I, I used to go around before I wrote the book. I still go around it. And I used to go up to people and I would say, uh, can you name a Jewish boxing champion? And I would usually be met with a blank stare unless they were over 50 or 60. You know, and they had some knowledge of it. But uh, certainly with the younger generation, they had no idea. And I would say, well, did you know there were 34 Jewish world boxing champions? And it was like, there was like confusion. Wow. <laughs> it was like, yeah. you know, sometimes I was met with laughter, like I was making a joke, you know, mm-hmm. I said, no, there were at least uh, a couple of thousand, maybe more Jewish boxers, uh, in the early decades of the last century. And they were major contenders. They were dominant at one time, you know, the, 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 uh, immigrants uh, that came over here, starting with Irish, then Italian, then Jewish, and then, of course, the, the influx from the south of, of African-Americans north. And poor boxing is a sport of poor people. And when Jewish people were poor and struggling, they boxed, just as the uh, children of Irish immigrants did and Italian immigrants and, and the uh, African-Americans who, who came north to the major cities uh, uh, where boxing was you know, a huge sport. So... I wanted to get this history out because it was forgotten. Yeah. yeah. And so I decided to write this book, but I, I, I wanted to write a book that, that would 
be have a, a, an impact in, in 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 the way it was presented. And I was fortunate to uh, get the, an excellent publisher, Lions Press, who put out a, basically a coffee table book with 255 photos. Mm. And I I do mini biographies on 166 prominent Jewish fighters. And I preface each uh, chapter with uh, not only what was going on in the sport in a certain era, a certain decade, but what was going on in the world at the time and how each one impacted the other. Yeah. So it's not only a boxing book, it is a social history book. And I'm very proud of it. And I got a lot of help from some great boxing historians in, in uh, the circle of, of experts that I am, am friendly with. Uh, such names as, as uh, Chuck Hassan and Dan Cuoco and uh, Leroy Hassler and, and other people were just, they helped to share their knowledge and, and I incorporated all of that and uh, just spent three years researching and writing this book. And I think I put out a good product and I hope people will agree. Absolutely. You know what I love about your story, Mike, and yeah. for moving forward listeners is that you started with this passion at a young age. And that was the spark that eventually led you to take more risks and eventually combine two really great passions, your love of boxing and Jewish history, to write a definitive book that, like you said, is not just about your love of boxing, but is also about social history and culture. And I think that is just such an inspiring story for Moving Forward listeners. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate that. You know, I, 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 there are certain, you might call them cliches, but they're true. Yeah. And you have to keep repeating them to yourself. You know, one I, I, I'm very fond of is we're more regretful, more regretful of the things we didn't do than the things we did do. It's, it's basically retraining your mind in many ways and your way of thinking. We fall into habits Absolutely. And, and, and these, some of these habits are not that good and you have to work to change them. Well, speaking of habits, Mike, this leads perfectly into my next question. Mm -hmm. So as someone who has done so much, how do you get inspired each morning to conquer the day? Okay. Well, I would say the first thing is don't look in the mirror <laughs> in the morning, especially at my age, <laughs> you, know, just, um, you know, getting inspired uh, I, I, my, where I work, I'm by a big picture window and I open the blinds and I look out and if it's a beautiful day, that inspires me. Yeah. And, and I feel happy just to be alive mm. and, and you just, you know, be grateful that this day is another gift for you Yeah. and it's a gift and make the most of it because you never know what tomorrow will bring and, uh, just do what you do what you want to do that that will bring you joy and even if it's something that you're in a job that you're not that happy with then find something else in addition to that that gives you some sense of purpose some joy even if no matter what it is even if it's collecting old movies or something i it, it just do something to uh that that feeds into your interests and feeds into your pleasure centers you know, without hurting anybody, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Well, Mike, as you know, and from your own story, you know, any career 
it ha- it, you're going to have setbacks and failures. That's just part of life. That's just part of trying things and mm-hmm. having a robust career. So I was wondering if you could share a specific time in your life mm-hmm. where you failed, where you feel like you hit that roadblock and a lesson you learned about when it's the right time to pivot or shift course. Mm. Okay. Well, I go back to the time when I was floundering in, in, in my career. I mean, I was already in my late 20s. I was, uh, a lot of my peers who graduated college with me were already into professional careers. Some of them had gone to law school. Uh, some of them uh, were entrepreneurs or had you know, good jobs or were successful stockbrokers or whatever. And I seemed to be floundering. Hmm. And I, I couldn't understand it in the sense that I, I knew I had some talents, but I seemed unable to succeed at, at a number of things that I had tried. I had this feeling that I would be good in sales. Um, and it, bolstering that feeling was the fact that my father was uh, an outstanding salesman. In fact, I would call him a super salesman. Hmm. Um, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I inherited some of that. But I always, I was, I'm a people person. And I, I just felt I, I, I could, um, I could communicate well. And I just had a feeling I could succeed at that. So I went into my manager and I asked him if I could interview for a sales position with this large company, this international company. Uh, again, I had sort of a clerical job there. And he explained to me, he said, well, you know, sales is much different than what you're doing. Uh, and three out of four people who go into sales fail within the first three months. It's high pressure. It's, uh, you have to accept rejection. It, it's not something that's very easy. Uh, and he kept talking about it. So this, and, and I had gone in there wanting really to go into it. And uh, he actually talked me out of it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I went home that night and I said, what just happened? I said, <laughs> I wanted to change my life. I go in there and here's the boss, you know, giving me, you know, the, 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 the lecture about, you know, it could be very rough and, you know, you could end up losing your job because we don't hire you back once you, you, you lose the, you know, you're, you don't make it in sales. And I realized then that I, you know, I didn't believe enough in myself and I didn't have enough confidence in myself. And it, it, it really disturbed me that I, I, I could be talked out of this situation where I thought would help to change my life for the better. And I think this happens to a lot of people. Absolutely. And I realize now that I simply had not found my niche. Yeah. And I was I was around peg trying to fit into a square uh, hole and and I was comparing myself mm. to other pe- I was comparing myself to my peers who seemed to be more successful, okay? And I, and therefore I felt like a failure. Yeah. And and this was a mistake. I don't think I think that's that can only lead to uh, despair and uh, frustration. Absolutely. Um, and I, I really, you know, took stock of myself, uh, because I, I was so frustrated with where my life was going. I felt I needed a change. And I think I was pushed into that. I, I really, I remember just, you know, getting up in the morning and 
flying out of bed and saying, well, what's going on here? I have to do something to change. And I made the effort to um, reevaluate myself, my talents. I must say I did have help. And, and I was so upset with myself that I went into therapy for a short time because I, I felt that I needed some, something extra to give me that boost. And, um, but it took me six more months to go back into the manager of the office and say, I've made up my mind. I want to apply for the sales position. I understand that, you know, I, I, certainly I'm taking a chance, but I do feel I can succeed at it. And again, he tried to talk me out of it. And wouldn't you know it? I started to feel a little doubt again, but I said, I, I pushed it aside. I said to myself, Mike, do not just keep positive, push forward. Even if you don't believe it yourself, say you do. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I did. And I, I uh, went to the sales training class, which uh, they put up there, a hundred sales trainees across the nation. Uh, they put us up in a hotel. It was, uh, it was about a week's sales training course. And, uh, I immediately became excited about it. I, I, it, it just, I felt, you know, something this, I know I'm going to have to work very hard at this, but I think I can do it. And within, within one month, John, I was the top sales trainee in the company. Wow. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> it was just amazing. I mean, I, I worked very hard, but, uh, I had a knack for it and, uh, you know, I kept learning and, and I just, it's the first thing I ever did that I really succeeded at and it changed my life. It changed my life yeah. because it opened my eyes. It opened my eyes to, uh, you know, what the world was about and, um, you know, selling a product, I was in corporate sales and selling a product and getting people to part with their money. And this was a large amount of money. I was selling the services of, uh, of Dun and Bradstreet and, um, you know, the average contract then in the early seventies was over a thousand dollars. And you had to convince people to part with their money who had never used the service. And, uh, it was a challenge, but I liked the challenge. And I even liked the fact that they, they, we, we, there were four salesmen uh, in our office, three, five salesmen, three um, regular list salesmen and two trainees, me and another fellow. And they put our stats up uh, for each month. What you, you had to meet a quota or exceed it. And in the front of the office, and there were 100 people working at various jobs in that office, everybody who walked into that office saw that big blackboard with our names on it and how much we were produce, producing that month. So, you yeah, know, oh, yeah it was all public, you know. So there was a lot of yeah. pressure, but I thrived on that pressure. And, and, yeah. and it, just, uh, it, it just really it gave me more confidence and it taught me a valuable lesson. You, you should never, if you have a, a feeling in your, in your mind that you want to do something, make the effort. Make the effort because even if you fail, it's a lesson. It's a lesson and you grow from that failure. Yes. You, 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 you have to fail to succeed. There is no success without failure. And, and you, you cannot remain, as I say, in, in that safe zone. You, you have to take a chance because, you know, Babe Ruth had more home runs than anybody for about 70 years. Okay. 
but he also had more strikeouts than anybody. Mm. Okay, so you there is no success without failure. Absolutely, and, and you you just have to keep going. You have Absolutely. to keep, and and you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get discouraged, and you have to fight that. It's an ongoing battle. It's not something where, you know, I was. I don't want to tell you how many times I got rejected for my first book, and until I finally got a publisher. But you you keep going. You just keep going. Yeah. You can't give up. And another thing is is you, you you just must always think positive. Train yourself to think that you're going. Whenever I walked into a sales call, I was always very very positive. I always felt I was going to make this sale, whether I did or I didn't. I, I always w- had a positive attitude. I think in, in everyone's heart of hearts, they know what they're good at. Yes. But again, something holds them back. Yeah. And you have to be as honest with yourself as possible. Um, you don't have to wait for that time where, where it's just so frustrating. I would say start the journey early mm-hmm. um, and just... You know, if you're not ready, don't worry. Don't worry. It, it it will come, but take little steps. In other words, don't keep thinking about it. But even if you can't take major steps, little steps lead to a major step. Yeah. So I would say that's, you know, one of the lessons that I learned that just uh, as they say, you know, the uh, uh, the journey of a thousand miles begins, begins with one step, Absolutely. begins with that first step. You know what I love about this and a couple of aha moments that you've just shared with our listeners today. Number one, it's so true. We all get caught up in this every, you know, many times in our lives sometimes where we are comparing ourselves to other people and you just have to stop doing that, right? Because if you had continued on that path, you might not have explored your true passion. You might have stayed in the corporate world and, you know, maybe had a very comfortable life, but you it would have prevented you from pursuing your passion and not only writing two incredible books that talk about your passion, but also is contributing to the narrative of what the history of boxing is and Jewish history. So I think that is so such a big aha moment that I think a lot of moving forward listeners maybe themselves are struggling with is comparing themselves to other people who, yes, they may look, you know, the grass is always greener, right? You see someone else, right. they, they look like they're successful, but you're absolutely right. It, it's not, you're not living someone else's story. You're not living to someone else's standards. You have to find out what your path, and I love the word niche. What is your niche? Whether right. you're starting a business, writing a book, or pursuing a career, what is, what are your gifts? What are you passionate about? And and the other part of that is that, yes, it is a long journey, but it always starts with one step. And I love how you just combine those two sides of that coin. It's it's a big journey, and it's a big thing to step out of your comfort zone and not follow what someone else is doing, yet at the same time, everything starts with just one step. Correct. My biggest mistake was trying to follow the path uh, that someone else had trod and knowing in my heart of hearts, that path wasn't for me. Yeah. Okay. You, everyone is special. Everyone is unique. Everyone has their own talents. You might be a complete imbecile when it comes to mathematics and you know, you, you just can't grasp it or gather it, but I guarantee you, you have a talent or something special within you 
that that terrific mathematics student couldn't possibly do. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Albert Einstein, I I remember the story. Um, He had a problem in his home and uh, there was a flood or something. He he called a plumber in. He called a plumber in and the plumber was awed. He came to Albert Einstein's home and he said, Mr. Einstein, I'm just in awe of you. You're such a genius, you know, and here I get to meet you. And Albert Einstein said to him, I want to tell you something. What you're doing here, fixing this leak and preparing, repairing this pipe, I could never do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. You have to, moving forward, listeners, you have to embrace your gifts and not compare yourself to other people. I think that is a critical lesson. Well, Mike, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit. Since you've written two books, since you've done so much, we're going to move into something that I call the Knowledge Burst Session. And this is where our guests share three game-changing resources and tips that our listeners can start applying and using in their life to move forward. So I'd like you to pick one and share with our listeners. Has there been a particularly influential movie, book, song, or it could be a cultural experience that inspired you to move forward? I remember getting this book. It was so many years ago. I think it was called What Color Is Your Parachute? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, t- I took that book and I followed the directions as to write down, you know, what it was your real interests are and so on. It's, and, and in our own minds, you know, a lot of thoughts go through and it's important to whatever it is going through your head, like put it down, put it down on, on paper and write it out. And they had all these exercises to figure out what it is you did best. And I remember one of the things it said that I would be good at was uh, was being a counselor, counseling mm. people. And it's, it, as I recall, it also indicated I had um, was a people person and I had good communication skills. And so I try to figure out what what aspects of those talents, you might call them, that I had could transfer to a job. Okay. And that's one of the reasons I decided sales would be right for me. But in telling a person, it sort of, it helped because, you know, I used to read, I used to read self-help books and self-help books really don't help you unless you put into practice what they're saying. Absolutely. So I think, I think the majority of people who read self-help books, read it, put it aside and say, let's see what happens, you know, but like anything else, you have to work at it. And, and, um, so uh, I, you know, had read sales books and and would would really put into practice what some of them were saying. And uh, it's it just, you know, again, it's a question of making the effort and getting out of your comfort zone. Mike, share a daily practice or habit that you have for prioritizing and managing your time. OK, I think. As any successful person will tell you, organization is key. Yes. You, you, you have to do some of the detail work. You know, you, you, you can't wing it, really. Um, I always, um, when I'm finished for the day, I sit down and write up, make a list of what I'm to do tomorrow, the next day. And I prioritize that list. Um, Whatever it is, I put it down. I may rearrange it. And I say, this is what I, I may not get to everything uh, that next day. Okay. But it's there for me to look at and know that I have, this is what I, I will attempt to accomplish. Yeah. 
And also, you know, sometimes you just don't feel, especially in the writing aspect, you don't, you know, sometimes you just don't feel like it. But I will say to myself, don't, you know, you don't have to write for an hour, two hours, sit down, just give yourself five minutes, sit down, start writing anything, you know, and five minutes usually turns into an hour or more. (laughs) So, so, you know, just get the ball rolling. But I think, um, keeping to a schedule. Yes. And, uh, is very important to, to organize yourself, um, and, and attempt at some, you know, some discipline there. Absolutely. And Mike, I'm going to ask on top of that, do you have any particular tools that you use that were game changers for you? And when I say tools, I mean, it can be anything from a mobile app, a website, or it could be a practice. And I've had people say something as simple as a Sharpie and a piece of paper. So do you have a particular tool that is indispensable for you? Well, the only tool I think that has really helped me, as I say, is keeping to a schedule. Yeah. Um, so would you say it's the pen and paper for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. It's the pen, the old fashioned pen and paper. You know? yeah, absolutely. So, and, and I've had guests really talk a lot about that. And Jeff Hazlett, who I had on a, a couple of months ago, and he's just a hugely successful serial entrepreneur. He's very much into technology, but he says that his best tool is that list that he keeps. He keeps a list. It's a pen and paper. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I love hearing that. Do you have a particular way of organizing your list that you can share with our listeners that may help them? Well, you know, I, I have index cards. Ah, oh, index and, cards. Yeah. 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 And I, and I write, you know, I, and I write down what, you know, what my plan is for tomorrow. I write it down on separate index cards and I look at them and I'll shuffle them and then I take those index cards and then I finalize, you know, exactly what it, the, what I prioritize first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and uh, and say that's it. Okay, oh, I love that. that's what you're going to do. I love that because sometimes it's really hard to do that if you've just written it on a single sheet of paper. But if you write the items on different index cards, right. then you can literally move them around and prioritize them exactly. from one to end. I love that. That's a great, great yeah. hack. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, you can find links to many of the books and resources mentioned by today's guest, along with offers to try out Audible and Amazon Prime. These are affiliate links for which I receive a small commission, which helps the podcast and is greatly appreciated. You can find these on the write-up for today's episode at bemovingforward.com. Mike, we have listeners from many different backgrounds, from many different parts of the world, and some of whom may be listening to this and hanging on to every word that you're sharing, because they may be in that same spot you were in when you were 28, and they're struggling. They're really trying to figure out what is their niche, or maybe they're looking at their peers and their friends, and they're feeling, I'm really out of sorts. What is the one thing that moving forward listeners can start doing today to bring them closer to their life's purpose, passion, or niche? My inspiration comes from other people, Mm. okay? People who believe in you. Yeah. Talk to people who perhaps, you know, in in your view, have accomplished a lot. Uh, Approach them and ask them, say, you know, you're having, uh, most people want to help other people. And, and most, I found most successful people uh, are more than willing to help somebody who's, 
struggling to find themselves. And I used to talk to successful people and ask them for advice. Uh, I combine that with a book like What Color Is Your Parachute? And uh, But you have to do the work. I remember um, my first sales manager um, who was, you know, outstanding and was brilliant at what he did. And he would he would talk to me and he'd say, Mike, you know, you have the potential to be, uh, you know, a top sales manager in this company. You can really go far. And he would boost my confidence. Yeah. And he would tell me something that, you know, coming from him made a difference to me. I think having a mentor, mm, yes. having someone who you respect, who you can look up to, who has accomplished a lot and who believes in you and who takes you under his wing is one of the greatest things you can have happen to you. Absolutely. So I would say that um, seeking out uh, a mentor or even sometimes you can get confidence or something stays with you just in a conversation with somebody yeah. who you're talking to this person and they have an insight. They have an insight that is like a revelation to you mm-hmm. and it opens your eyes in some ways. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, I'm inspired by, by people, by other people. I'm also disappointed in a lot of people, but I'm inspired take by those the, people. Take the good with the bad. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It, it just, you know, change is the most difficult thing there is. It's more difficult, I think, for other pe- some people than others. But many people have a great difficulty getting out of their comfort zone. I think if you speak to successful people, you will realize that they never would have succeeded in anything unless they made the attempt to get out of their comfort zone Absolutely. and they took chances yeah. and they, it, it, it takes, it takes a mindset you, you ha- and it, and it isn't easy because there's that little voice in the back saying, you can't do this. You really, you know, this is, and you can't listen to that little voice. Uh, you have to push it aside. Yeah. And I would say to somebody who's struggling, who's trying to find, just don't, be idle. Just don't keep thinking about it. Do it. Start something. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's something you find out three months later, what the hell am I doing here? Hmm. You've gained the knowledge. Yeah. You're that much closer to what you want to do. And again, even if you haven't, if you feel you're stuck in sort of a dead end job, you know, that doesn't occupy all of our waking hours. There are other things you can do that whether it's cultivating a hobby, whether it's doing some type of volunteer work, which sometimes could, you know, develop into something else, uh, just uh, pursue things that you are interested in. And even if it doesn't turn into a career, that can give you some pleasure in your life. Absolutely. Mike, uh, just a couple of big aha moments that you shared that moving forward listeners should really apply in their lives. I love how you talked about connecting with people, finding a mentor, someone who believes in you, and also you have to try things. And I think those are just a couple of really big takeaways that can really help our listeners move forward. Absolutely, absolutely. It's not easy, but, uh, you know, no gain without some pain. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Well, Mike, it. what is next for you? 
Well, right now I'm trying to promote my book. Okay. I, uh, just, um, I'm thinking of doing a, a collection, uh, for my next book, uh, uh editing a collection of all these, uh, scores of articles I've written over the years and mm. take out the best and put them into like an anthology. Um, that's what I'm thinking about now. I have a few ideas in my mind, but I haven't, you know, decided which one I'm going to focus on. I'm enjoying the publication of this book. I had a wonderful book launch party. We had over 200 people there. And so I'm enjoying the fruits of the labor, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what I want to do is, is uh, again, uh, start on another project soon uh, because uh, it's, it's just so enjoyable. It's work, but, you know, it's enjoyable, too, because uh, I'm working on something that that gives me pleasure and I think has value to it. Absolutely. So, you know, that's the bottom line. Well, Mike, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more about you, your work, and your wonderful books? Okay. Well, I have a website. It's MikeSilverBoxing.com. Awesome. <laughs> Very simple. MikeSilverBoxing.com, where you can uh, see reviews of the book. Uh, there are links to order it. There are links to uh, articles that I've written for other websites. And, um, you know, and, and that's, I mean, one of the things I think if I wasn't doing this, I, I think I might have a career as a motivational speaker. I yeah. think, John, you might give me a new idea for another career here. Absolutely. <laughs> Just listening to your story and speaking with you today, I feel very inspired. And I know that many of our listeners do too. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll have your website posted on our website, as well as all the information about your books. Mike, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk about your career journey. Talk about your journey with boxing, Jewish history, and your wonderful books, The Ark of Boxing, The Rise and Decline of the Sweet Science, and your newest book, Stars in the Ring, Jewish Champions in the Golden Age of Boxing. And do you want to say that website one more time for our Moving Forward listeners? Mike Silver. It's my name, Mike, S-I-L-V-E-R, MikeSilverBoxing.com. MikeSilverBoxing.com. Congratulations on all of your (laughs) success, and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge bursts so that our listeners can move forward. Thank you, John. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Moving forward, listeners, I think the big takeaway from Mike's extraordinary story, a couple of things. Number one, Mike had this passion that was driving him since the age of 14, but he was afraid to take a lot of risks. And this translated into his day job. He was working in corporate America, and he wanted to take a sales position from being a clerk, but he was talked out of it. And then he had to overcome that fear, and he did a lot of work to do so by reading a lot of books, talking to a lot of encouraging people, and doing the work. And that was the spark that later allowed him to take another risk and to really pursue his passion to dig down and write the definitive books on boxing. How cool is that? Moving forward, listeners, ask yourself, what is holding you back? And like Mike said, when you look back on your life, You're going to regret more the things you didn't do than the things that you did do. So find those mentors. Read those books that can inspire you. But most of all, don't compare yourself to other people. Don't look at what they're doing as the standard for your life. You've got to follow your passion and you've got to follow your gifts and use those to move forward. And of course, to learn more about Mike, his extraordinary work in the world of boxing 
and information on both of his books, The Arc of Boxing, The Rise and Decline of the Sweet Science, and his newest book, Stars in the Ring, Jewish Champions in the Golden Age of Boxing, A Photographic History, check us out at bemovingforward.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This is John Lim with Moving Forward, and join us next week for a new episode. Now it's time for you to move forward and unlock the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and Bali Solutions, LLC. All rights reserved.